Hey, I want to welcome you to the Martin McLean Podcast. This is episode number 19. Today's ep- episode title, Let's Get This Thing Right. Let me just say this. If you are a political junkie, you are in the time of your life. When you think about being less than three weeks away from an election, you also have the confirmation process of a nominee to the Supreme Court. You have all this political theater, this drama. It's all going on. You've got all these news networks. You've got the Internet. You've got podcasts like this one. You can listen to all kinds of stuff. You can garner all kinds of information. So if you, seriously, if you're a political junkie, you're on cloud nine. You're in paradise right now because this is an exciting time to be alive. It's also kind of a little bit of a scary time to be alive because, you know, our nation, United States of America, we can turn on a dime. This is what you would call a directional election that we are having, because this will determine our direction. A lot is at stake. You also have the census that's being ta- that's taking place, and then you're going to have the the reapportion of the seats for the House. You're going to have all kinds of stuff going on in state legislatures. There's just a lot at stake right now, and, and people are kind of on pins and needles. Everybody's kind of a, a little bit tight. It seems like, and I can understand. You know, I'm you know I have to kind of. Uh, really pray about this stuff and, and trust the Lord uh, because I know God's in control. He's going, you know, He is the ultimate one who decides. And we can pray and we can ask God for mercy. We can ask God for His favor. But, you know, I do understand this. I do understand that God does judge nations. You know, I've been reading in the book of Ezekiel, and we've been talking about uh, the, the book of Ezekiel here on the Martin McLean podcast. And, 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 you know, I was just looking in chapters 4 and 5, and you know, God had been saying all this stuff through the prophets, and they really wouldn't listen to the to the prophets. And so there was that prophet in exile, Ezekiel, and God called him to be a, a prophet. He was a priest. Now God's called him to be a prophet. It's kind of a, a kind of a bummer experience for him because he kind of knew what was at stake. He kind of knew what that would entail. But my goodness, what God told him to do, if you ever look in chapters 4 and 5, this guy, God made him basically stay in his home for about seven years. Until the fall of Jerusalem, from about 593 to 586 B.C., he was going to stay in his house for the most part. God would also have him lay on his, on his side, on his left side, for about 390 days. He's supposed to lay on his right side for about 40 days. The guy was to make a replica on a clay tablet of the city of Jerusalem, then build up all his siege mounds around it, and then put a, a, a plate between an iron plate between him and the the city and that would kind of symbolize the city being cut off from God from God's favor and then he would have him make this bread from like three different types of grain and a couple of vegetables and grind it up in a flour and then cook it and originally told him to cook it over human dung but uh, being a priest Ezekiel protests and then God said okay you you can cook it over cow dung and that was symbolizing what was going to happen to Jerusalem when they're going to be under siege by the Babylonians and he told him, every day, eight ounces of bread, the Ezekiel bread, you can buy it in your grocery store today, but eight ounces of bread and probably about three cups of water. And it was just a, it was just a, as somebody would say, a street theater. It was a demonstration of the hardship was, that was going to come upon Jerusalem as they were going to be under siege by the Babylonians. Now, people weren't going to believe that that would happen. They thought they could still get out of it. But let me tell you something. God's in charge of nations. And we need, we need to submit and yield to Him and take His Word seriously because God does judge nations. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But continuing on, in chapter 5 of Ezekiel, God told him, say, you cut your hair and cut your beard off. Now, that's kind of 
wanting something that a priest would normally do. It was kind of a shame for a priest to do that. But he cuts it off. He said, okay, here's what you do. Burn a third of your hair. That would symbolize the people who would die during the siege of Jerusalem. They would die from the, from the famine, from the pestilence. And then he said, take a third of it and cut it with a sword. Those who would die in the conflict itself, in the battle. And then a third of it, he said, throw it to the wind. That would represent those who'd be dispersed among the nations. And so Ezekiel the prophet was being told to do all this stuff by God, and it was a, it was a, a visual reminder to the people that the judgment of God was coming. Now, they wouldn't listen to words, and so now God was giving them basically street theater. And so, you know, if I, when, when I look at the Bible, I do see that God does judge nations. Let me read something to you from Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10. It says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So in other words, we need to take God seriously. I mean, he can bring judgment. He can bring blessing. Now, it's interesting. I, I got an article here that was written a few years ago by John Piper, yeah, the John Piper of Desiring God. And the name of the article is, Will America Be Judged? And in the course of the article, he speaks about the sequence of sin, and he, he talks about Leviticus 18. And let me read this, what he says. And this is from John Piper. He says, There is a remarkable sequence of sin in Leviticus 18, 20 through 25 that sounds very much like the progress of iniquity in the modern Western world. Moses writes that by these iniquities, quote, the nations which I am driving out before you have become unclean and the land became unclean so that I punish its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. That's Leviticus 18.25. So, you know, the land vomits, throws the inhabitants out. So here's what he says. This is once again from Piper. He says, quote, What brought the nations of Canaan to the point of judgment? Here are the sins Moses was referring to. Number one, this is from Leviticus 18.20. Adultery, quote, You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife. Number two, child sacrifice, we call it abortion. Now, these are the words of John Piper. And now, Leviticus 18.21, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, Leviticus 18.21. Third, homosexual intercourse. Quote, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination, Leviticus 18.22. And number four, bestiality. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so to make yourself unclean with it, it is perversion. Leviticus 18, 23. In the West, we have moved to the point of open approval of adultery, child killing, and homosexual intercourse. Will the open approval of bestiality be next? Probably, unquote. Those were the words of John Piper. And now, I don't know about you, but I find it very interesting. You know, marriage vows are not taken very seriously with some. And that, that is a shame. And we know that abortion, that is the issue. Even if you look at the Amy Coney Barrett hearings right now, that's one of the big issues they're concerned about. Okay, what is she going to say about Roe v. Wade? Are we still going to be able to get our abortions? And, you know, I'm against abortion. I think it's wrong. Abortion takes a human life. 
Always remember that. As the old saying goes, abortion stops a beating heart. Now, one of the ways you always have to look at this, you know, people say, what about this? What about that? What about this? Well, here's the deal. The circumstances of your conception does not determine your worth. Your worth is determined because you're created in the image of God. So the circumstances of your conception, how you were conceived, that does not determine your worth as an individual. Your worth is determined because you've been created in the image of God. And when there's an abortion, it takes a life. A life has ended. A heartbeat has stopped. And here we are, one of the biggest things going on right now with the congressional hearing, with the Senate hearing and the confirmation process of Amy Coney Barrett, is that we have some, the, the Democratic Party, they want to make sure that Roe v. Wade will not be overturned. That's kind of a big deal with Democrats. I've got some podcasts on that. You can go listen to it. Uh, but that is a big deal. Also, and, you know, and Piper talks about child sacrifice being the same as, you know, we have abortion nowadays. It's, it's, it's the taking the life of the children. You also have what was talked about as homosexual intercourse. You know, they're also concerned, okay, what's she going to do about the Oberfell decision? Remember, I think I mentioned last week we have two of the Supreme Court justices. We have Thomas and Alito who want to go back and revisit the Oberfell's decision. I think that would be awesome. I think that that was a horrible decision. I said it last week. I'll say it again. That needs to be revisited. And Amy Coney Barrett, I would hope I would hope that she would want to go revisit that, and I hope we could get a different ruling on that because, I, you know, you read the Bible, you read what the Bible says, and if you take the Bible seriously— you say, you know what, that's really not a nation that God can bless if the first thing that God established in the Garden of Eden was, was marriage. And now we have perverted that and we have redesigned that. That's not good. And so we need, we need to make sure we, we go back and change that. And obviously, you read Romans chapter 1. We've mentioned that before. That is just a sign of a society that God's about to give over to a debased mind. And a lot of times when God gives a society over, God just lets the natural course of events take place. The virtue is gone. And when the virtue is gone and the conscience is lifted out of a, out of a society, it's not a good place to, to live in. It, 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 you just don't have the, the blessings of God upon that place. And now it's also interesting, one of the things that the Democrats are, are very concerned about with Amy Coney Barrett is, uh, the whole issue of Obamacare. I have a, uh, an issue with Obamacare. All I got to do is look at my monthly insurance statement of how much my insurance has gone up. I mean, I I figure we were the average family. We didn't save, what was it, $2,000 a year. We pay that basically a month in premiums. It's crazy the way things have gone with that. But, you know, I went back, and I, I know, you know, when you look at Obamacare, I know we have some people that are probably well-intentioned, but they were, I believe, misguided. Also, we have some people that were deliberate in trying to, over, you know, take over the health care industry. Of course, about 17.7% of our gross domestic product uh, is health care. I mean, it's a big chunk of our economy. And if you really want to start uh, having more and more government control over people's lives, healthcare is a, is a really good way to start. Now, I went back and looked at some such uh, some of the articles about Obamacare. Here's a Forbes article. It says, uh, "Social welfare on the cheap: Why Obamacare was built to fail." So, this is Forbes. Obamacare was built to fail. That's interesting. Vox they put out an article that says Obamacare Obamacare was built to fail. The exchanges were designed by people with no understanding of the markets. 
Also, there's an article in theheal.com that says Obamacare architect, quote, stupidity of voters helped pass bill. Now, here's Jonathan Gruber. Uh, he's basically the ar architect of Obamacare. He said, quote, lack of transparency is a hu huge political advantage. And basically call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. But basically, that was really, really critical for the thing to pass, unquote. Of course, a lot of the problems was with organizations or companies like Hobby Lobby or the Little Sisters of the Poor, the, the Catholic nuns who provided hospice services, they did not want to provide the contraceptive mandate uh, that also included abortion drugs uh, in their health care for their employees and people that they were associated with. And so it became, it became a very big deal. And eventually it went to the Supreme Court. And fortunately, uh, there was not, um, the Supreme Court ruled that they did not have to violate their conscience and provide these services. Obviously, the uh, Democratic Party was on the side of the Obamacare. And the Republican Party was on the side of the Hobby Lobby. And the Little Sisters of the Poor. So it's just one of the things I want to say is I don't think I've ever seen a greater difference between the two political parties than what there is now. And I know I talk a lot about uh, the whole issue of abortion in, on this podcast, but it can the contrast could not be greater. And, and you know, abortion, it is a big deal. I mean, because that's you, you value life. And I, I've got a couple of podcasts on that. And you can go back and listen to that. But if you get a comparison of the two political parties, their platforms when it comes to the issue of abortion and, and look at issues like the Born Alive uh, Abortion Survivors Protection Act, where they stand on that. Look at where they stand on the Hyde Amendment and um, how the Democrats now want to codify Roe v. Wade. They want uh, abortion, the federal legislation to supersede all the state laws. So any state law that prohibits or reduces uh, abortion would be overruled. And the federal law that they would like to pass uh, would take precedent over all that. So uh, there's a huge difference when it comes to when it comes to abortion. Also, the whole issue of LGBTQ uh, rights and how that's being promoted in our school system, even being able to counsel people about uh, their sexual orientation. You know, that's that's stuff that you really need to look at. And uh, the whole issue of the conscience with the health care. Uh, there's a there's a big difference between the two political parties when it comes to those those issues, uh, when it comes to the support of the nation of Israel, uh, they take a different approach. And, and so, you know, I want to challenge you to look at the platforms of the two political parties. Now, you can vote however you want to. Uh, and remember, this is the Marty McLean podcast, and the views I express on this podcast are Marty McLean's. That's why it's called the Marty McLean podcast. But um, let, let me read something to you that uh, Parker Snyder of at the Alabama Policy Institute, he wrote, uh, the first is about abortion, quote, the Republican platform seeks to eliminate legal abortion through a human life amendment to the Constitution, while the Democrat platform seeks to expand both federal funding for and the availability of abortion through repealing the Title X gag rule, which prohibited Title X family planning funds from going to organizations that refer women to abortion and by repealing the federal Hyde Amendment, a long-standing legislative provision barring federal funds from paying for most abortions. If given its way, the Republican platform would ban abortion and the Democratic platform would expand it. 
He also speaks about uh, religious liberty. Quote, both the Democratic and Republican platforms agreed that religious liberty is an essential American value. The Democratic platform, however, would require Christian adoption agencies to place children in homes with same-sex parents and Catholic charities to provide abortion coverage in their health care plans. The Republican platform opposes all of this. So, you know, those are just some examples, that's unquote, um, of the differences between the two parties. Now, these are differences. These are stark differences. Now, the, the Democratic Party, they're, they're not ashamed of what they say about abortion. They're not, they're not ashamed to tell you their stance on abortion. It's, it is a big deal. All you got to do is turn on your TV, watch the Amy Coney Barrett hearings, um, look at political campaigns. I mean, abortion is a big issue, and it's considered health care. And so the two parties are vastly different when it comes to that, and they're vastly different when it comes to the LGBTQ agenda. Uh, you need to, like I say, look that up. Um, let me read this, tell you about another article that's very interesting. This one was written by a lady named Katie McCoy, and she is an assistant professor of theology and women's studies at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And the name of the article is Why, Why Kamala Harris is the Worst Candidate for Christian Women. And she gives several reasons why. And um, she says, for instance, quote, Harris doesn't represent women like Selena Soule, for instance. Soule is the high school track star who missed qualifying for the New England Regional Championships and the potential for scholarship opportunities that came with it because two biological males who identified as females competed in the same race. In the Senate, Harris co-sponsored the Equality Act, Act, which would force schools to allow biological males to compete in women's sports, unquote. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about these guys that all of a sudden identify as women, and then they want to compete athletically against women, be it wrestle against them, be it run against them, play lacrosse against them, soccer against them, I, I think, have you lost your minds? I mean, just common sense just says you don't let guys go out there and compete with girls because there are biological differences between men and women. There just are. And that that is so just misguided and wrongheaded. It, it's unbelievable. So what she's saying in her article is that, you know, women that are affected adversely by letting men compete against women uh, – what Kamala Harris stands for does not really work well for them. Also, uh, she talks about uh, Kamala Harris wants to decriminalize prostitution. Now, I've looked this up, and she's kind of, Kamala Harris has kind of been on both sides of the issue about decriminalization of prostitution. She's said enough about it to be very troublesome. I'll put it that way. Uh, but anyway, she continues on talking about another woman uh, she says, Jenna Jensen, uh, who miraculously survived an abortion by saline, an attempt to burn, blind, and suffocate her at seven and a half months in utero. Harris voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, a bill that would have required doctors to give medical care to infants born after an attempted abortion, unquote. So she's saying that Kamala Harris doesn't stand for a woman like that, so... Now, you may say, well, Marty, it sure does sound like uh, that you would be a Republican. Well, you know, 
I vote for the party that I feel like aligns most with what I believe. Now, I don't feel like any either party would be what you'd call a Christian party. Of course, you got a separation of church and state, but I've got to vote for somebody. And you can vote for whoever you'd like to vote for. I, and I will tell you, you know, this is this is my opinion, and it is the, as I say, it is the Marty McLean podcast. And I, I'll just let you in on this. I was asked recently, once again, by uh, one of the gentlemen over in Finland with the state television over there. He wanted to know my thoughts about the election, and uh, they're looking at doing some stuff, uh, possible programming with some stuff, and wanted to know my input about why I vote the way I do and, and who I was going to vote for. So I'll just tell you the email that I sent to him. I'll read it to you. I said, uh, here's a brief summary of how I plan to vote. Like many evangelicals in the United States, I plan to vote for the Republican candidate who happens to be Donald Trump. Now, 81% of, was 81% last time of white evangelicals in America voted for Trump? So, you know, I'm just, there's 81% chance anyway that that's who I voted for. But anyway, I'll go back to what I put. My vote is based more on the platform of the party than it is on the candidate. In America, we have a two-party system, and the Republican Party aligns much closer with the issues that evangelicals deem most important. These issues include the sanctity of life, traditional marriage, limited government, and religious freedom. And so that was the email that I sent. But, uh, you know, I could have also included in there the whole issue of... Israel and support for Israel, because uh, that is a very, very important issue uh, for evangelicals in the United States of America. So that's kind of how I, I've told him that I was going to vote. Now, let me just say this. We all have an opportunity to vote. It's coming up. Man, it, some of you may have already voted. I mean, in the last couple of days, you may have been somebody that voted. But here's something I, I want to read, just kind of reassure us all. Regardless of who gets voted in as president. Here's what it says, the Bible says in Proverbs 21.1. It says, The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So regardless of who gets elected, God is still in control, and a president's heart is not beyond the touch of God. And so, you know, I want I want you to just take comfort in that. Now, I have stated my political opinion. As I've said, I, I'm speaking as Marty McLean. Uh, you can vote however you'd like to, but I do believe that it is your civic responsibility to vote. And I, and I do hope that you take the platform of the two political parties and that you look over the platforms and, and that you would vote according to which one, uh, more, more closely aligns to biblical values. Uh, you vote the way you'd like to, but regardless, God is still on the throne. And um, I tell you what, I, if I was not a believer, if I did not have my re relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, boy, I tell you what, this would be a, a much more difficult time. Like I said earlier in the podcast, this is a directional vote in the United States of America. Uh, this vote, this election will determine the course of our nation. It, it, is a, it is a big deal, and we really need to be in prayer and we need to be in prayer even after the election. Pray for peace in our nation after the election because uh, we don't want things to get uh, out of control. And remember, if you disagree with someone politically, you can still be kind and you can still be loving to them. Uh, you can tell them you know, why, why you feel the way you do. Uh, this is America. We can have a free uh, exchange of ideas, which we should have. And, you know, you can agree with somebody and not, as they say, not be disagreeable. So remember, be kind and loving to people and, and pray for people. Pray for those that, uh, that you don't agree with. 
and pray that our nation would turn to righteousness because, boy, I tell you what, we need the blessings of God. And let's not ever, ever take the blessing of God for granted. All right. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me on the Martin McLean podcast. I hope you have a, a great and exciting and wonderful week and enjoy this wonderful fall weather. And I hope to see you next time on the Marty McLean podcast.